Welcome back to The Light of the Gospel. Today I'm talking to my brother-in-law, Carlos Peters, about parenting, about being a father. But before I get into that, I want to share some things with you. Uh, there's a, a YouTuber named Patrick Bet David. He's, uh, he's got a YouTube channel called Valuetainment. A lot of really good, valuable stuff on there about business and finance. Not all of it I agree with, but like everybody, right? There's a lot of good stuff on there. He shared some things, some stats today about fatherlessness. And I just want to read a few of them here for you so that you get the grasp or the idea of what we're talking about here, the scope of what we're talking about. Now, most of you listening to this will not be able to identify with this as much because you probably don't come from a fatherless home. If you were raised Mennonite, then probably much more than likely you were raised with a dad and maybe you are a dad that is involved. But how much more this should, tr this should motivate us and empower us to want to move forward being good dads, not just available dads, not just kind of there, but actually fully participating in our children's lives. So here's a few stats. About 80% of single parent homes are led by single moms. Most, most single parent homes are moms. At a, a rate of 23% of children living with one parent and no other adults, the United States stands over three times the world average of 7% children raised by one parent. So I know Canada is not exactly US, but I think our stats are very similar to theirs. Often I'd have to check to see what Canada's are. But he said that across the globe, China, India are at like three or 4%, I believe. But across the globe, children, only 7% of children are raised in fatherless homes. But in the United States, it's at 23%. That's a huge, huge number. And then he says this, that, um, uh, for even for children with a father present in the home, this would apply to us, the average school-age boy only spends about 30 minutes per week in one-on-one -on -one conversations with his father. 30 minutes per week. For comparison, the same boy, on average, will spend about 44 hours per week watching television, playing video games, and surfing the internet. What? <laughs> 30 minutes a week spending one-on-one -on -one time with dad compared to 44 hours with a screen. 90% of all homeless and runaway children, homeless and runaway children are home, fatherless homes. 63% of teen suicides, fatherless homes. 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. And on and on and on it goes. I would encourage you to go watch Patrick Bet David's video on that topic. But Carlos and I get into that and we talk about being intentional, about uh, on purpose raising your boys especially, but your girls as well. So I hope you get some value from this. I hope you appreciate it and that, I, that you realize that being a father is the greatest calling that you have apart from loving their mom and that it's one of the highest callings that we have as Christians is to be good fathers. So take it to heart. Uh, Subscribe to the channel, share it with your friends, but most of all, go spend time with your children and teach them how to be. Yeah, so where do you start a conversation like this? Carlos and I are both pretty young dads. I mean, I'm a few years down the road from you, I've got a 19-year-old daughter now, a 17-year-old daughter, and a 15-year-old son. So when we talk about child training and raising boys or uh, teaching boys to be men, we're not really talking from the perspective that we know how to do it all. But we've, I've, I've appreciated the way you've raised your young boys. They're very young still, but you've been very intentional. That's the word that you kind of probably want to use today quite a bit. Uh -huh. And um, I, from very young on, when I was a very new dad, I'm sure I did plenty of things wrong and probably still do. But one of the things that God did in my heart was completely turn my heart. There's one of the last verses in the Old Testament, Malachi. He says that uh, when John the Baptist comes, he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And that's, for me, that was like the 180 turnaround. Like, whoa, this is my life. I need to raise this child. Right? So I think one, one challenge nowadays is... Uh, how do you get to that point, right? There's obviously a relationship that needs to build in order for your, you, you know, even as a, as a father to face our hearts towards our children and our children towards ours um, in unity, right? And nowadays with technology and whatever kids are busy doing now, 
Um, I would I find that it's difficult often to even connect on their on their level, yeah. right? Often the things that interest my kids don't interest me, or yeah. I don't I don't get excited about, right? But I think often we need to overlook what we want to do, right? Um, and then and then we get into what excites them or what passion they have, and then once you get down on their level and you understand the things that uh, touches them, that's when you can speak. Mm-hmm. Right, because then you're in their comfort zone instead of hey, I need to talk to you. You know, then they're potentially intimidated and so on. That's right, and it starts with the idea of confrontation. Yeah, uh, one of the things, the major advantages that you and I have, and that's another thing that we should probably say. I know quite a few men who got saved in their late thirties or in their forties, and their kids are already in their teens, mm-hmm. and so I can't really truly identify with that. I I worked very hard from very young on to treat train my kids to have them obey and. To, to be joyful together, right? Uh-huh. So it's it's been a lifelong thing where my kids don't ever really disobey me. The little ones, obviously, they learn and they grow, but they don't go against us, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's a different perspective than someone who's trying to win back. Well, once you have older older boys, then the word disobey, it's it's they, they are going out of their way to disobey you. Mm-hmm. It's not like a spur of the moment, like, I'm just not going to listen. It's they know better, we've taught them, yeah. um, but they're being intentional Right, you know, use that word both ways, right? Mm-hmm. You're being intentional about going the other way, or just not not yeah. paying attention to what you're saying, right? So you and I, with our little kids like Trevor, Jackson, you know, Austin and Tyson, mm-hmm. they might be times when they go and do something that they knew they shouldn't have done, but it was just like in the heat of passion, they got excited and they're like, "Oh shoot, I wasn't supposed to go there. Now I already did it." Mm-hmm. But you're they're thinking like a 15 year old, 16 year old who's mm-hmm. maybe at youth group or something and the boys are doing something they shouldn't he's just like yeah forget what mom and dad's saying and do anyway that's a different yeah. that's like rebellion right yeah total different stage in life for sure yeah. right it's a certain point in time where we would uh um you know pass on um pass on the torch or pass on the idea of you are now your own your own being you are now your own man um or you know daughter or whatever right yeah but uh they're responsible for their own for their own actions instead of looking to us all the time that's right right and you're hoping to slowly get them to that point where you kind of wean them off of you, in mm-hmm. a sense. Mm-hmm. One one uh, child training book that I read years ago, Michael Pearl, he said that uh, his goal was to have his kids graduate from him to the Lord Jesus, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. they no longer needed him, as his, like almost like you're being the Holy Spirit in their life when they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. Mm-hmm. You're guiding them, you're teaching them, influencing them, mm-hmm. instructing them, keeping them from doing the wrong things, and then eventually you can take your hands off. But mm-hmm. it's it's a twenty year process. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's you know the steps to take to sharpen their conscience, if you will, right? To to uh, uh, for them to realize, obviously, right from right from wrong, but then to see it before it comes, mm-hmm. right? Like a lot, of, I know a lot of kids, they they or teenagers and whatnot, right? Um, they don't realize they're being caught in sin, or they don't think about it, right? Because it's just something that teenagers do, or young boys and girls do, or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, if they're um, um, aware of the dangers. And they're like, oh, this is something that dad talked about, right? This is something I should stay away from because they're aware of the dangers right. to uh, to prevent, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're kind of training their soul mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. the captain of their body, yep. right? Yep. So that, like, that's what the Holy Spirit does for me now. The Bible says that we should grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we are sealed unto the day of redemption. So now I have something inside of me that kind of controls my outward mm-hmm. doings. And so that's what we kind of are trying to do to our kids. We're, we're insulating them from the inside, teaching them how to govern their bodies. Without without being too, uh, I want to use the word controlling, right. but you have, to be, you have to be controlling with, with young, you know, young children, right? Um, to, to guide them along the way, yet... Um, I don't know, some people might not agree with manipulating your kids into making decisions that you want them to that you want them to make. Okay. Right? You guide a conversation to the outcome that you want it that you want to see. Mm-hmm. Right? So that it almost seems like they can their idea. That Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Right? And I, I do it with boys and I, I think it's a healthy relationship because um, obviously what I want for them is in their best interest. Right. You're not trying but, to get something out of them. No. No, no, but it's it's uh, when it's their idea, when they come to the realization that uh, they did something wrong or they acknowledge something out of their own will instead of, hey, dude, you screwed up or you, know, you did this when you should not have, yeah. right? Because then, then they'll start approaching you because there's a relationship there. Yeah. One of the things I was considering earlier is, I've obviously I've called this podcast In Light of the Gospel. So 
doing marriage in light of the gospel, raising children in light of the gospel, living your life outside at work and all that kind of stuff, right? So how do you, in light of what the gospel tells us, in that you are saved completely by grace through faith, no obedience necessary for you to get saved, right? You're completely, completely Christ's work and not your own. So now what I was thinking about is there are some people who are very super um, focused on the idea of grace, which I am as well. Then they take that into parenting and they think that the way to parent properly is to emulate the gospel. And on one hand, I would say yes. But if you think parenting is just showing your kids grace, showing them grace, showing them grace, you're going to develop a very lopsided child. Well, there's no, there's no learning. Right. Right. Like, I, I think if the kids, um, or even us as men, if we screw up, which we do, um, but if we don't learn from our mistakes instead of just for being forgiven, right? But, but the gospel does teach us as Christians to live righteous, mm-hmm. right? The fact mm-hmm. that God shows us grace mm-hmm. is the motivator for mm-hmm. us to do right. But what I was thinking of is um, the gospel would not have been precious to the world, not just to me personally, if God had not first brought in the law that made us all feel like, man, I don't measure up. Here's God's standard. This is what he wants me to live like, and I haven't done it. And then grace comes in to forgive us. And so I feel like we should be... We should be like like Jesus was full of grace and truth. So when we're parenting, we should be bringing in the law, showing the kids what they can uh-huh. and cannot uh-huh. do, and enforcing it. And then when they feel like they've really failed, absolutely every single time they should recognize grace, grace and love yeah. and mercy. Right? Yeah, absolutely. No, I just I, I guess I more or less want the kids to see that on their own, right, with guidance. But um, I, I, the only way when I was growing up, the only way that I would learn something. It's like I could be told something a hundred times, right? But if it, when it comes from somebody else, right? Or like, then then it's just uh, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. I'm being told what I did was wrong. When I come to the realization of that myself, was not smart. No, that uh, then I was like, whoa, that was that was serious. Yeah. Right. Um, and then you you learn from it. You you, you know. And it sinks in. Yeah. Because yeah, forgiveness happens, right? But you don't forget the sin, mm-hmm. right? So you don't you prevent from doing it again, right? Um, one of the things you mentioned just before we started recording was uh, years ago, I, I remember saying this to somebody, he had his first son, and I was really happy for him, excited. And I don't know if he asked me for some tips or if I, being myself, just kind of threw in some tips. I forget what it was now. But I said, most parents train their children by accident. Mm-hmm. The kids just grow up in their house. Mm-hmm. I said, one thing that we tried to do was raise your kids on purpose, mm-hmm. meaning intention. Absolutely. So that's yeah. something that you really seem to be... Yeah, the word the word intentional. It's you're you're inconveniencing yourself for their best interest, right? And you could take that from uh, you know from a relationship advice with your with your spouse, or with with your kids, right? Like like I mentioned earlier, doing things that interest them. My boys, they love crafting. If they can craft and build something mm-hmm. and do something. Um, like this morning, for example, they wanted to build a parachute out of a, a Lego man. Right, and we we're thinking of cutting paper and bending it and shaping it and this My and that. My boys just did that last right? week. Right, and maybe that's where they got the idea, yeah. right? But Austin also comes out and goes, "Why don't we use a coffee filter?" And I'm, yeah, mm-hmm. that'll work. work. Why not, right? But you know, it's one of those ideas where you would I've wanted, would I have come up with the idea of, "Hey, let's build a parachute." No, let's just go do something manly. In my opinion, mm-hmm. crafting may not be very manly, but it's creative. It it it. Um, challenges them in so many different ways and yeah. different aspects, right? Stretches their mind. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, keeping boys busy in general mm-hmm. uh, with their hands and mm-hmm. with their mind mm-hmm. is going to be super important, right? Because yeah. uh, the boys that we see being raised around us today, you know, young 20-somethings even, they just don't they don't have any capacity to do things with their hands. Nope. Or unless it's just this, it's right? They can hands. fiddle with their fingers really quick. But as far as doing something productive and valuable, mm-hmm. it's... Uh, Kind of lacking in our culture. Well, that's because they, you know, I'm not. I don't mean to insult other, you know, other fathers that let their kids just grow up unintentionally or whatever. But all of a sudden, you know, a lot of people, a lot of dads, they always say, "Careful, your kids are just going to grow up like that." They're all of a sudden, you know, now you have a three-year-old, and then all of a sudden you have a twenty-year-old. Which, looking back, you know, we have an I have a nine-year-old, mm-hmm. right? That that went by really quick. Yeah. But when you're living in the moment, you seize each opportunity instead of just letting the days go by, right? Often when I come, I'm on my way home from work, I'm like. Okay, my brain is tired. I don't physically do work, but mentally, often I'm exhausted. Yep. And I'm like, okay, but I have to have energy for my wife and kids, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise, well, why should they be, you know, penalized for, for my, 
being mentally tired, right? right? So often, point. you know, up usually I'm a 98 kilometer an hour guy, cruise control. When I come home from work, sometimes I'm doing 80. Just slow just down, slow just down, recuperate. Right? And that way, as soon as I walk in the door, I lo- absolutely love when my kids just embrace me when I come home, yeah. right? And it's it's just you know it's it's a feeling like none other, right? Uh, you know, the, you, do- the you dog prepare, is one thing. You prepare your mind yeah. on the way home yeah. to say, okay, here goes. Yeah. I was listening to a secular podcast the other day, a guy named Jocko Willink okay. and Andrew Huberman, both very famous in the secular podcast world. Andrew Huberman's a scientist. Jocko Willink is a former Marine, so a soldier, big, tough, strong guy. Mm-hmm. And um, they were talking about that very thing. He said, the, the scientist guy said that the energy that you need to accomplish a task is not found in food or in calories. Because we often think about energy as calories. So if I eat, no, I remember learning in high school, one peanut is six calories. So if you need to climb a flight of stairs, all you need is six calories. So if you eat a peanut, you could have the energy to climb a flight of stairs. So my mind was always thinking, okay, if I put my food in my belly, then I'll have the energy yeah. to do stuff. But he said that's actually not the case. It's not all. He said all. it's yeah. all like that energy to get up and do something is all in your mind. Mm-hmm. Like say for instance, mm-hmm. you broke your leg, you can hardly walk. And then somebody yells that there's a fire in the house. You'll, You'll be, be off gone. that couch and you will be running through the house if yeah. need be. Yeah. You know, whatever it takes. Yeah. So not that you should be constantly running on adrenaline, but the energy to do something is more in your brain than the, the food that mm-hmm. you've eaten. So you might be exhausted at the end of the day. Yeah. But the thing is that men don't really have, they can't afford to be exhausted when they get home. Not if you want to um, speak to your children and speak into their lives, right? And your wife. Yeah, and the yeah whole, absolutely. Because right? the, the dad kind of sets the tone for the mm-hmm. whole household. Mm-hmm. If I come home with energy, everybody has energy. The dog feels that I have energy. That could right? be the case for all of them. Like, the yep. wife can be the yep. same way. Yep. But ultimately, I think it rests on you, right? But yeah, he definitely set a precedence as soon as you walk the dog the door. Feel it? The dog can feel it. If I have energy coming in the door, my, my dog knows. Like, one thing my kids... And, I don't get excited about it, but I do it because they absolutely love it. But if I uh, um, walk in the door, and if I chase each and each and every one of them, and if I tackle them down and just give them a hug or embrace them or tickle them, mm-hmm. right? And and Austin's getting to the age, of, you know, he's nine now. It often ends in, I tackle the kid, right? And he might get hurt. Okay. So it's not... It's a little rougher, yeah. Right? I gotta, you know, I take my socks off, otherwise I'm gonna slip and fall. But... It's just something that they absolutely, like, I, I take the dog, throw the dog at, not totally, you know, so otherwise the dog will just chase us and bite my heel, right? Mm-hmm. But it's something that they absolutely um, yeah. adore. But your, your energy level when you when you go home is absolutely huge, right? Yeah. It reminds me of uh, um, when, when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman, right, at the well, right? The disciples went into town to go get food, and they come back with food. And Jesus is like, I'm, you know, I'm no longer hungry. Or I, have, I don't think he said, I, I have, have food to eat that you know not that of. you know not of, right? Yeah. And it's a spiritual nourishment, right? So I think when we speak to our children with a level of positive energy, right? Whether it be, you know, five love language, you know, words of affirmation, or you, you compliment them, or a physical touch, or whatever is needed at different moments in life, right? Mm-hmm. You can speak to your children without even knowing the, the words that you, you know, you don't need words all the time, right? Yeah. And that's where being intentional is so so important because you could just go home and sure have fun with them right but then you, you go do your own thing and the kids do your, their own thing right yeah. you spend 15 minutes i mean sometimes i get to work, get home from work and then i have a, a, a meeting or i have something to do right or or bible study or something yeah. right and then uh, the kids kind of get ignored yeah, yeah. Happens and, and then the problem with that is uh, anybody who's an involved person in their community or in their church or at their work or whatever mm-hmm. they end up spending 10 to 12 hours a day at their work probably mm-hmm. you know if you work 10 hours a day you're on the road you're getting ready you're going yeah. to work and then they come home and they probably spend an hour or two watching a show or yeah. sitting there just relaxing yeah. how much time is actually really spent with their kids i think our, our culture now makes a big push to spend quality time together so you'll see dads or moms taking their kids on dates or yeah. going on little camping trips those are good things i really for them but unless you plan like we have four kids and unless you plan and schedule that, like, okay, I'm staying home with the other three while Linda takes yeah. this one and pours her heart and soul into this child and spends time and invests into them, that's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Right? So if you're not intentional and if you're not, um, if you don't make plans like that, yeah. it's just not going to. And, and I don't think those quality time moments replace quantity time. No. No. No, because 
I don't know. I know a lot of people, they, you know, and we do it as well, right? We'll watch a movie or watch a show or something, right? But we're not watching, right? We're, I'm often on my phone, browsing or doing something, yeah. right? And I'm like, I'm not even here. When the family all laughs at something funny. You almost have to rewind it. To I'm like, wait, 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 wait. What, what was funny, right? I missed it because I was being Brilliant. ignorant yeah. on my, you know, and that's my fault, right? Um, and yeah, it's, 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 um, you know, you're distracted. You know, I stare at two computer screens all day, yeah. majority of the day, and then and then I go home just to stare at a bigger screen, just being distracted on my smaller screen, right? It just it just what doesn't world it just in. doesn't make any sense. Right? Do you set limitations then for yourself, or have you not really taken that kind of initiative to we've, say I'm going to stop with the screen? We've 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 tr- we've uh, made it a point that if we're watching something, if we're doing something as a family, then my phone our phones try to stay on the kitchen counter. Sometimes with and watching a show or a movie, it almost feels like, well, you're not together anyway. But there is something still yeah, together, yeah, right? Yeah. You're together watching something taking place, and you're mm-hmm. laughing together. Mm-hmm. You're you look at each other, or you talk about yeah. it later. Yeah. It does. Def- it is definitely a still mm-hmm. a maybe not the best family activity, but it does still bring the family together mm-hmm. to some degree. Yeah, to have, you know, to have a weekly movie night or something like yeah, that, right? Like, well, it's hard to um, but to uh, um, to do something together with with the kids, right? In the wintertime, it's, it's more difficult and it's more challenging to, to think of things to do as well, right? Yeah. I know um, that kind of talks a lot about keeping boys busy. One of the other things that I really wanted to mention on that topic was that uh, self-confidence, self-motivation, or the belonging that a lot of kids are lacking, I think comes from the fact that they don't feel relevant. Uh-huh. They don't feel like they're useful. So one thing that we've tried to do from when we were living in Vienna at the small you know house in Indiana, just in town, or whether now we're here on the farm, we're trying to make each child somehow do something, whether it's once or twice a week uh-huh. or whether it's every day, where they feel like I am actually a vital part of this, the function of this family. Uh-huh. And so that we don't tell them, you're a good boy, you're a good boy, you're a good girl, great job, when you didn't do anything. Uh-huh. Or rather, we give them some yeah. some skill or some responsibility, <coughs> some chore yeah. that falls upon yeah. them to do that they might get reprimanded for not doing. Uh-huh. But after a while, they just do it without even thinking, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then it makes them have that value. But it also gives you the opportunity to praise them mm-hmm. and to compliment them, right? Like I, I think of you know the, the whole um, words of affirmation and uh, one thing that um, um, the Raising a Modern Day Night course um, caught on to a lot was... Uh, um, Praise your children in public. Right? That's interesting. If I've you, heard that too. If you do it in public, and don't do it, say, you know, Austin, make sure you're listening right now because I'm about to praise you. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, just like the other morning, I was doing uh, the opening at, uh, at church, and uh, the boys were super, I can't remember why they got up super early, but they made us all breakfast, and they brought us coffee, and they were all excited. So I just I said something along those lines Sunday morning in front of all these people, and I was praising my boys. But I didn't do it so they would feel good about themselves. I didn't did it because that's genuine yeah, praise. Yeah. yeah, I was excited about what they did. And uh, afterwards, um, Linda just says, "You should have seen the smile on that boy's face when I acknowledged, and all these people knew that mm-hmm. they did something good. Right? He was excited, and he would, you know, yeah. hopefully do it again. Right? But just when you speak to them unintentionally, not even when they're listening. Right? Like we're socializing in your living room, and the kids are in the kitchen, and if we praise our boys." They're listening. I can't help but think in the back of their mind they're listening. They're noticing. Or they're doing and, something. And more than that, they catch the way you actually genuinely feel yep. about them. Because yep. kids can become a nuisance. Mm-hmm. They can become difficult mm-hmm. to deal with. And then you won't feel like mm-hmm. praising them. But if your kids are actually doing what is required to be like, lately I've been on the road a lot more than I've been home. Mm-hmm. And uh, Trevor, 11 years old, he feeds all the chickens, goes and gets yep. the eggs. Yep. He'll throw this hay on the side-by-side, drive it back there and give it to the cows. And all that stuff. Ezra does it all, and I just expect it because yeah. he's big and he's strong. He can do it. But yeah. Trevor just, it's its built a confidence in him where he's like, I can do all of that. And it's a sense of responsibility Absolutely. too, right? And so one of the things that I've read uh, in Jordan Peterson's book, a secular guy, obviously not a Christian, but one of the chapters in his first book that he wrote uh, for the public, he said, it's called this, never let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was huge because then... You will like them, and it will be easier to praise them. Mm-hmm. When A lot of times there's this terrible cycle where you, you've let them do things that you don't like, and then you're constantly reprimanding them for things that they're doing. 
but you were the one that let them get away with it for time and time. Like the Bible says, um, fathers provoke not your children mm-hmm. to wrath. Mm-hmm. Some parents, some dads will provoke their kids and tease them, tease them to the point where they get angry. Mm-hmm. And they'll wait for a little longer, keep poking, poke, keep poking. And then they'll say, oh, okay, okay, fine, let's have it. We've had enough. And now they've taught that child to get angry and frustrated and grumpy. And, and it takes that level, that extreme, right, Yeah. to, to, to make a change. That's right. right. So now that whenever they do that, you reprimand them for being the way that they are. But it was you that taught them to be that way. Mm-hmm. So you're letting them do things that you don't that makes you dislike them. And so you're not doing them any favor by allowing them to get away with stuff. That's why if you if you catch it right away, right, and then you, you cut it off instantly, yeah. right, you're not setting a precedence, yeah. right? Like you know, like you take a work example, right, where you know one of my my sales staff does something, and or they they act in a certain way to a customer and if you don't handle that right away they're like i got away with it even though it was disrespectful and it was not representing the business in a good way right but nobody said anything so i'll just continue to do it it worked Mm -hmm. for him right but from a not even a christian perspective but as you know where your morals at yeah right i was having this last week and i i wasn't going to take it right and i was like you know we don't we don't talk to our customers that way that's very you know that's just not and uh, okay, sorry. And now it probably will never happen. Yeah, again. Well, <laughs> <laughs> better not. My, my, at this point, my expectations are you know better. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're a grown man for crying out loud. Right. Why would you even say? Yeah. Right. Why would you disrespect your customer that way? Yeah. One of the things that Jordan Peterson makes mention of in that context is that if you don't like what your child is doing, then there's also a very good chance that other adults won't like what yeah. they're doing. So think of a child in a grocery store throwing a fit, yelling and screaming at his mom, whining for something that they want. Everybody in the grocery store is embarrassed for that child. Mm-hmm. And so as the mom, as the dad, if you're letting your child be the one in the grocery store that everybody disdains and doesn't like, you're not doing your child anything good. You, know, you might be thinking, you know what, I'm just going to let him get away. We'll just get out of the store and I'll go cuddle him. I'll give him a chocolate or buy him something. You just made him the center of attention for a room full of people that don't like him, that do not like him. And so we made a a deal very early on that at the very first sign of any kind of tantrum, fits. Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen kids throw themselves on the floor, bang their Mm -hmm. legs and feet, and they just we just immediately dealt with that. Mm -hmm. You you are not getting away with that, not even once. And so I've never had my children at two and three, you know, laying down on the floor, throwing fits and slamming doors no. and stuff. And they know when you're in a public setting that you can't react the same way you would at home, right? So they're aware of their circumstances and they're, you know, you know dad can't do this or whatever, right? So they might test you a time yeah, or two. Yeah, absolutely, sure. right? But if you cut that off instantly, you yeah. just, okay, well now, I tried that. I didn't get away with it. I won't That's do it again. going to happen again. Right. Their kids get away with temper tantrums. Oh, yeah. Temper tantrums. Yeah, it makes you right. dislike the child. It makes other people dislike the children. I know of a couple boys, you know, 10 to 13 years old or so, that none of their peers really want to hang out with them. Mm-hmm. And most adults kind of feel awkward around them. Sometimes kids that don't get socialized properly at a young age where they haven't wrestled with their dad, they haven't been told no, they just do weird things. Like they'll throw themselves at you or they'll come and talk to you and badger you with things that are just like, like I don't, what else do I do with this kid? Like, I, I want to be nice to him, mm-hmm. but he's being annoying. Mm-hmm. Like, what else do I do? That, I think, stems very much from the dad down mm-hmm. in the home. Yeah, if they don't get the attention, and the kid doesn't understand how to react once somebody gives them attention, mm-hmm. right? Like, I know of a young, a young boy, he's uh, um, learning, you know, I think he's 11 now, and uh, but he does not have a father figure in his life, right? So he does whatever it takes to get attention, mm-hmm. and that's rebel against mom, right? And, you know, I see it, and, I, you know, we, we we're trying to speak into this young man's life and uh, spend some time with him and, and be intentional, right? And, uh, but um, he, he, he does whatever it takes, like even at um, church events or at uh, um, events that the kids attend with, with this young guy. You know, an 11-year-old should never be running on the pews in a church, I get it from a three-year-old, but from an eleven-year-old, but yeah. and that's where you know not having um, the father. And mom can say, "Don't don't run on the benches, right?" But uh, when you have yeah, that relationship, she has to be really tough to yeah. really, get, yeah. yeah, you know, crack down on it. And I could, you know, I could see that it would be exhausting, right? Being yeah. a, a single mother, right? That's right. Right. I know this this book, Raising Modern Night, has you know they're saying that forty percent of forty uh, percent of fan, of boys or men don't have father figures in their life. 
right? And that's an American standard. That's not right. Probably an accurate description of our culture, nope. the Mennonite no, 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 culture, right? No. But uh, globally or yeah. across the world, mm-hmm. yeah, forty yeah, percent. That's what they were. That's what they were saying, right? So they don't. They don't. Those boys. They never hear, son. I love you, son. I'm proud of you, son. Good job, or you know, way to go, or encourage them, or have any any type or even of, get the feelings of those yep. words. Just the look, yeah. you know, the look of a satisfied father, right? And, you know, thinking back to my childhood, right? I didn't, you know, my dad never told me I love you. It wasn't a love language that that, right. that was spoken, right? And I would imagine you have probably had a very similar upbringing. Yeah, so on that front, I think there's there's been a lot of dads who have been kind of disconnected from the emotion mm-hmm. of being a dad that way. And it's probably not a good thing. I think dads should be telling their mm-hmm. sons, I love you, I'm proud mm-hmm. of you. But there has been really good, successful dads who clearly were proud of their sons, and their sons felt like they were pleasing to their fathers, but the fathers just never said it. But they didn't know how. Right. I really don't think they knew how. Yeah. Right? Like, one of the challenges in this in this book is um, take your son out and, and take ice cream, whatever, take him out, and tell him about all the good things you experienced with your father as okay. as a uh, when you were a kid. And I'm thinking, okay. Yeah, there were a lot of good moments. Sure, there were. There was a lot of good times. And then as I was, I, I did this with both of the boys. I took them out, and we, were, we went for a walk on the, one of the beach piers or whatever, right? And we were talking, and I was saying good things. And they're like, they, they caught on right away. They're like, what are you doing? Like, Austin asked, what are you, why are you saying this? I said, well, I realized that uh, often when I talk about grandpa, I paint a bad picture, unintentionally, right? And even the boys have said, and they're quite innocent, you know, this is when they were much younger, but they were innocent and vocal, you know, they know smoking is bad, mm-hmm. right? So they would look at, you know, my, my, my dad and be like, Grandpa, you know smoking kills, right? And dad's like, yeah. Goes, then why do you keep doing it? Like, you're just hurting yourself. And they've told him this before, right? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, he's I know, say, right? Kid. But the more I was thinking about what kind of picture do my kids have of their grandfather? Mm-hmm. And it was not a good one. It wasn't always a good one because... There's plenty um, of negative to speak of. So, like, when I was disciplined as a child, it was not out of love. It was out of frustration, anger, and you're... you're cool. Yeah, yeah. He wouldn't keep us cool, right? But uh, when I started talking about good things, taking him fishing, and uh, taking me fishing, taking us fishing, right? And then I was thinking, I've never taken the boys on a walk down the pier in Burwell, for example, right? Just intentionally done that. That's something my dad did with us, go fishing at the end of the pier, right? Carry all the fish back and, and whatnot, right? But uh, just... And there were lots of good moments. But I think if, if dads um, express positive vibes, right, instead of all the negatives, mm-hmm. whether it be from, from siblings or from parents or the kids' aunts and uncles or, right, or uh, um, grandparents, right, you, the kids will have a different outlook on them, for yeah, sure. For sure. Right. Well, that's interesting. Um, I know that uh, keep... Uh, like doing those kinds of things, going out and reflecting on, you know, what you did, did with your dad. I, I would have to sit down and actually consider what things I've all did with my dad. But I have plenty of positive memories growing up, for sure. Mm. But one of the ways, too, that, you know, you don't have to necessarily go out fishing or hunting or walking somewhere to have those valuable things. It, it can often be just stacking fire with mm-hmm. the boys and then go get them some ice cream. Yeah. You're stacking, or uh, cutting wood or yeah. uh, taking out the, taking the groceries inside. Everybody, you know, is carrying how much they yeah. can carry. Just little things where they're feeling like they're actually vital part, and then they're doing it together with you. A lot of dads would just say, boys, go out and stack the firewood. And that's sometimes necessary. You know, I just don't have time, and they're going to do it. Not my boys will do that. Mm-hmm. But if they don't think that I would do it with them, it changes the environment, yeah. the attitude about the whole yeah. thing. Yeah, it's often our, our <coughs> approach, right? You know what's our what's our goal here? Just to get to get it done, or are we investing into their lives? Yeah, right. Right, because right? you know even in this book it says kids that they, or boys they need to uh, they need to see, hear, receive, and experience things. Right, and if you're not there being active in their lives, they're not they're they're going to miss out on that whole boat. Right, because no matter what they're watching you. Right, and uh, Henry Wall actually had a message at church about uh, um, surrounding yourself with people that are being a greater influence on you. Right, that are in, Make sure you're, you're surrounding yourself with people that are being a positive influence on you, right? So when I consider my my boys, for example, it might be, you know, my, in my in my own home, am I being a positive influence? Am I, are, are kids are, um, is my family getting energy from me? 
mm-hmm. right? Or am I uh, um, depressing? And right. is it like gloom and gloom and gloom? Dad's home, yeah. right? We better be on our best behavior, right? Or Dad's home, we're going to do oh, something fun, be cool. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Totally. You can just change everything. Yeah. I know there's a <clears throat> kind of a cliche statement that goes around where, and it's partially true, um, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And there's some value to that. It happens. It's true. But one of the things I've been trying to really emphasize and focus in my teaching is that as the father of the household, as the spiritual leader of the home, as the head of the household, you might think, well, I get to tell everybody what to do. No, you get to set the tone for how everything else operates. If anything in your household is running less than smoothly or less than joyfully, it might not be your fault directly. Maybe your wife has some issues or maybe your children are being disobedient. But ultimately, it comes back to you. So now the father has to come in like the CEO, like the head of the corporation and say, what can I do to fix this yeah. bug? Yeah. There's some issue here and it happens again and again and again. Yeah. So if if a dad comes home and, and his wife is kind of grumpy and moody and the kids are disobedient and unhappy, he could just kind of tune out, turn the TV on, grab a drink and say, forget this, I'm out of here. But it, it's his own responsibility. You have the, the responsibility to come home and say, this has got to change. I'm going to turn this thing around. It might require some serious repentance on the part of the dad, you know, coming before God and confessing the sin that you've been part of, talking to your children about it, saying, look, I haven't been connected. I have, I've been just kind of tuning out. I haven't been present with your mom mm-hmm. and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, right? Where it's, it's a very serious issue. But that's where you have the opportunity to do that, right? You just have to grab the bull by the horns and, and do it, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're being passive, right? Intentional. Exactly, right? Things aren't going to get done, right? Um, yeah, I just, uh, you know, when, uh, um, you, when, you, when you, you know, I leave every day, right? I'm gone often before the kids wake up. And then when I come home, I have the opportunity to be, uh, you know, often a mediator or um, change the tone, right? right? Um, because I'm, I wasn't home all day. I don't know what was involved, right? I know years ago in uh, our marriage preparation classes with Henry and Tina Weave, um, they said that when, when Henry, I think, believes he worked at Cami. When he came home, the first 10 or whatever amount of minutes, seven, whatever amount of minutes, it was mom and dad time. Kids, leave him alone. Okay. Right? Mom's going to catch me up on today and let us know how, and then and then we can move on. Right? Mm-hmm. Mother, you know, my wife is first. Right? I haven't adapted that. Right? I almost think the opposite way, where my kids are excited, and they can't contain it often, and they wanted to tell me about their day's experiences and what they've learned and so on. Right? You know, they just joined a new homeschool group, and I heard all about it when I came home from work Friday, right? Yep. And where, I'm not putting my wife on the back burner, but she's a little more patient than, than okay. the four-year-old, right? That's um, that's one thing, and I'm not going to criticize what you do, but that yeah. was one thing that I got encouraged to do very early on, is when you do come home from work, you might have to wade through the sea of kids and move them away, but to show them this lady right here, she's actually number one. Mm-hmm. And I made a video about that a while back, right, where I had a shirt that says... Uh, my favorite people call me dad. And in fact, my favorite person, my primary one, is my wife. Mm-hmm. And my kids know that. Mm-hmm. I have a, a a guy that I know, I'll put it that way, who walked out on his family. And uh, his intent was, or walked out on his wife, is what he says. Um, he was hoping that he could continue his relationship with his kids in the same way. And I'm like, the very core of your relationship with your kids, like the foundation of your relationship with your kids, mm-hmm is your relationship with your wife. Mm -hmm. It's like Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, the apostles making up the bottom of the foundation. The church is built on that. So if you have a relationship with your kids, it's only because you have the foundation of their relationship with their mom first. Obviously, God can work miracles with those that don't have a spouse or whatever, right? It happens. Mm -hmm. But the the way that it's designed to be is that the kids know that you're absolutely 100% committed to their mom Mm -hmm. above anything else, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, no, I agree. You know, I get it. Um, it wasn't meant to be a no, challenge no, to your no, approach. No, I get it. But, the way the way I look at it, as long as everybody gets attention, yeah, right. And often, if the kids don't get their excitement out right away, right, then uh, it doesn't it doesn't happen, right. Now that but, most of our kids are a bit older, so and I and I, I worked from home for like ten years, so I didn't get to experience this quite as much. But now, when I come home, Lisa usually, if she's somewhere close, she'll quickly run in before anybody else can hug me, and then yep. me and her and I first. Yep. And I'll even kind of push one of the kids away just to make yep. it kind of a fun game, right? Yep. We're like, no, no, mommy first. And then I'll do the, you know, the greeting and the hugging and all that kind of stuff. Too. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've definitely been in, uh, been in those in those moments. 
right? It depends yeah. depends how the day unfolded throughout the day, right? Right. Uh, one of the things I want to point out, since you don't quite have teenagers yet, is that it doesn't seem like it, but I had people tell me this, that what your child is at 2, they will be at 12. What they, is at, what they are at 14, or 4, they'll be at 14, and so on. And I would say very much that your relationship to your child at 3, 4, 5, and 6 will be very similar to your relationship at 13, 14, 15, 16. Even though it's at a much more mature yeah, level, yeah. you're not wrestling on the floor with them all the time, you're not tickling them and all that kind of stuff, but the camaraderie, the the string, the strings that kind of bound you together, mm -hmm. they're still there when they're older. And so if you're annoyed at your two-year-old and your three-year-old and four-year-old and you're just you're irritated with them, they're annoying to you, they will be the same way at 13 and 14, but then they have enough strength and courage to kind of resist and fight back, whereas... They don't have to. If you get along with them really well at 2 and 3 and 4 you, uh -huh. and you expect obedience and you get it, then at 13, 14, 15, 16... The relationship is already still built. there. Yeah. Right? You've built a relationship from young on where you can trust each other. Right? Yeah. I know a, a, a young father who... Uh, now he, I've never heard him say this to his kid, but he has told me that he said it to his kid. Go away, you're annoying. Oh, or go away, I don't... You know, just leave me alone. And I'm thinking... Do you know what you're doing? Yeah. Did any, and I have no problem telling this guy, like, what do you, you're missing the whole boat on the opportunity you have to be a father and to direct and guide your son. Yeah. Right? Like this uh, boy's a year and a half, when you have perfect moments just to sit and read him a book, mm -hmm. right? Just to do something, get down on the floor, get down to their level, right? And often that's a challenge all of its own, right? Getting down to their level, things yeah. that excite them, right? There's a, there's a time and a place, I would think, for uh, maybe a, a six-year-old who hasn't learned patience, mm -hmm. and they're just interrupting, interrupting, yeah. interrupting, and say, hang on, just hang, but you just wait a minute, I will get to you, yeah. but when I'm talking, just give me a moment, yeah. right? And yeah. they can yeah. respect Teach that, right? patience, for sure. But at the same time, to just say, go away, and not give them a proper explanation and stuff, that's a totally different bony, for sure. You had another quote there? Well, no, in... in in this book, there's a, um, a section on what, what does it mean to become a man? At what point in time does a young man, like on this DVD series, um, it's, it's, they ask a lot of dads, at what point in time did you become a man? Or, I don't know if you want to answer that, without knowing, without knowing what okay. answer this has. Yeah. We haven't talked about this. I've, I have thought about this quite a bit in the last little while. I think it was Mark Driscoll who said something along the lines of, um, a boy is someone who needs someone to take care of him. A young man is someone who can kind of take care of himself, mm -hmm. and a man is someone who takes care of himself and others. And so I often look back and I'm like, when I was a teenager, 16, 17, 18, in some ways I was a boy, I, or a man, I could shave and I could lift heavy things and I could keep a job, mm -hmm. but I didn't really feel like I was actually fully a man until I heard, held that little baby in my arms for the first time, yep. where I was yep. like, I'm a man, yep. I'm taking care of this little child. And you were 20? 20, 20, yeah, 21. Yeah, right. So for the first 20 years... Right, somebody has the opportunity to teach and train and and influence you to become who who God has designed you to be. Right, right. Um, to be to become a man. Right, and uh, um, if these young boys don't have that influence in their life, they're they'll turn to the carnal side. Right, when I have my first beer. Right, mm -hmm. when I smoke my first joint, nice. or when I when I go to my first strip club, or when I right, and that's the definition, or when they lose their virginity, whatever, right? Um, and that's the carnal mindset of becoming a man, right? I just became a man, whatever, right? But uh, when you have the opportunity, right? Uh, one one quote in this book that um, huh. that I have, I have... Um, Praise God that I felt like a man when I had you. I, mean, I didn't even try to do that. That's just happened to right? me, right? Like, I know, when you, you were never a troubled teenager. Not really. Right? But um, one one um, quote out of this book that has altered my life or guided me, huge, is to live pure, speak truth, right wrong, and follow the king. Say it again. Right, uh, live pure, yep. speak truth, right wrongs, and follow the king. Okay. So when you incorporate all four of those together, right, and you're, uh, you're, you're able to adjust your life and your personality and who you are as a person, right, uh, I mean, you live in a pure manner, whether it be physical, your mind, who you are, right? That second glance, right, is what gets you into trouble, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then to to speak truth, right? You don't have to exaggerate, right? And then you have the uh, the opportunity to witness, right, to share the gospel, and uh, uh, whether it be to your children or to your family mm -hmm. or 
um, uh, when people look at you, right? Your personality, yeah. your character, your morals. People, they, louder, you know, um, often uh, actions speak words than, than, loud, right? than words, right? That's right. Right, then you have opportunity to right wrongs, right? Things that you have messed up on, or, or you're, you know, you, you can guide your children in the right direction, right? And then, that, you know, obviously follow the Lord, right? Right. And when, you know, it's kind of backwards in my opinion, right? Follow the Lord, the rest will follow. Right. Right. But, this is the but there is, like, I, I taught the book of Titus out in Alberta, and um, he says at the beginning of that chapter, that book, he says, Paul sent Titus to the church at Crete to uh, set in order the things that were wanting. And then he goes into this whole long thing where he tells them, you need to have elders in the church, and the elders need to be like this. Mm -hmm. You need to walk in a certain way. You need to have these qualifications. Then he says, aged men need to be this way. Aged women need to be that way. And young men need to be this way. Servants need to be that way. Bosses need to be this way. And masters. And on and on and on it goes. It says that you may adorn the doctrine of Christ. And so to me, there's, there's nothing more appealing to the lost and to the sinners of this world than a well-ordered family. And a husband and wife who actually love each other mm -hmm. and care for each other, mm -hmm. obedient, happy children that are actually content to be at home and love their parents and so on. It, it's attractive to the world around us because there's not much of that in the world, right? No, no, no. And people, people will often, um, you know, uh, there's a saying that uh, somebody's always watching you. Just like you're, you're always learning from somebody. You always have a role model in your life, right? You're always watching somebody, and somebody's always watching you, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah, it's by my brother Abe. He mentioned the other day that uh, you know he, he could choose, or you know he, he can choose who he wants to be more like, right? And he was just naming a few different people, right? And then and he said, "Don't get on your high horse here, but I like I like I like your life. I like the way you live. I love the way you treat your kids, the way you treat your wife." And he's bragging me up, and he's a single twenty-two year old, yeah. right? But it felt, you know, it of course was, it feels good, felt yeah. good, right? Um, to to hear compliments, right? To, to see that. Uh, um, just our, our, you know, there's fruit that, that we're that we're sowing, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's being planted, right? So it's uh, right. It's uh, it's encouraging to. It's an investment, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things I heard a little bit ago that I think is very relevant is that uh, let's say you have a 20 year old or an 18 year old who's starting to question certain things in life, maybe has some influences in their life that are not beneficial or good. And you feel like you need to put your foot down and say, no, this is not okay. Mm -hmm. You can do that with a three-year-old easily. Just take it away from them or say no and they'll listen. But once they turn 12 and 13, they start seeing that oh, my friends are doing it and I don't care what dad says anymore. They could easily start thinking, I just don't care. And so this guy was saying, think think about your children almost in terms of, of a bank account or an investment financially. If, if you don't put in large sums of savings into that account, then when it comes time to withdraw something from it, there's not going to be any funds there. So a dad who's been not present, hasn't been with the kids when they were two and three and four, didn't develop any kind of relationship with them, didn't teach them yeah. obedience. Now they see it. They have a 17, 18 year old girl that wants to go out with a boy that you know is terrible for them. And you do know better. You can say, this boy is not good for you. The daughter's going to be like, I don't care what you think. It I, doesn't matter to me. I'm in love with this boy. He loves me. And it doesn't matter. So you could say, you're not seeing him again. What's that going to do? You're just going to push that daughter away. You're just gonna so the only way I, as a, as a father now of a couple of girls that are of age, right? The only way I have the opportunity to influence them and actually speak into their life and say, I'm not going to choose for you. But this guy here, there might be some issues you want to watch for. Mm -hmm. Or mm -hmm. this practice that you might be getting into, it's probably not the smartest. The book that you're reading or the movie that you're watching maybe isn't the healthiest. I have the capital or the investment to go in and say, that's probably not the best. And then they'll be like, okay. They'll respect that. They'll listen. listen because there's a relationship that's taken years. That's right. Years to build, right? And investing. I remember Herman Bucher once saying years ago, he's got seven, eight kids now, right? And uh, he said that his children are his investment. Yep. And I'm like, well, that makes total sense, yep. right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you're not the most successful financially, but you've got capital invested in your kid, right? Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he, he, we went up for breakfast a while ago and uh, we were talking about families and, and kids and, and so on, right? And uh, just to, to have larger families and the enjoyment and, and so on, right? So it was, uh, it was a change of, change of uh, stubbornness or change of heart on, on my part. Um, not towards big families, but towards uh, a potential uh, uh, growing family. Mm. So it's, yeah. 
an interesting an interesting uh, change in, in mindset, right? And that's why I enjoy people and, and uh, um, you know, even sit-downs, right? And we you get to learn from other people, right? For sure. Uh, one more thing I wouldn't mind t- touching on, because I know you are very active and intentional in this way too. So if, like I said before, if our relationship to our wives is the foundation of our relationship to our kids and to our marriage or to our family and all that, how what do you do intentionally with your wife? You guys have been married 10 years, 11 years now? 10 and a half. 10 and a half years. Yeah. And I remember when you first uh, came around to our family and started seeing Linda, you know, you just you seemed mature enough for a 19, 21 year old, whatever you were at the time. But, you know, I had my reservations and my issues where I thought, I don't know, a little immature maybe, but you've been very intentional about pursuing your wife, even when you guys disagree or butt heads on little things. Mm-hmm. You know? So maybe talk about that a little bit. When, when, when people talk about feelings and uh, uh, when, when, you know, I, I fell in love with this person, you can fall all you want, but if you base your life on feelings, you're not going to be together mm. because it's a thrill. It's a new high. It's a new excitement, right? You could get more somewhere else. Exactly. Right? And it's feelings, right? To this day, my wife still gives me butterflies, right? Like if she says something, whatever, like, yeah, right? I won't, yeah, anyway. Um, we just, you know, and it's it's exciting. It's thrilling. But if you invest into their lives and you if you just... Uh, um, intentionally spend time together versus uh, letting life go by, right? Um, if you just uh, let it, if you, w- often I wing it. Yeah. And I'm not recommending people to wing it, but I get away with it sometimes. It works. Because you're, you're pretty quick on your feet that it way. Just you'll goes. just quickly do something it just makes you feel special. Yeah. yeah. So what, what would you do intentionally? I know some people are really big advocates to, you know, dating at least once a week. Mm-hmm. Do you have any practices like that? We, we, well, we used to. One thing that was very, very important to us, and uh, I know you mentioned this to lots of people, is um, we did. We used to do a lot of reality checks. Just okay. sit down, slow down, and be like, "Okay, this is right. We're, no grudges are being left here. What we speak is truth. And if something's driving me absolutely crazy, it's something that you're doing right. And then, then we get it all on the table, and then we learn from each other and move on. And that works. Just, you just move on. We just move on. <laughs> we don't. I really don't think we've ever had a reality check where it's like, whoa. But there's been like hurtful or offensive things brought up at those reality checks? No, because we we, we practice them because I think it's good for us, mm-hmm. right? But um, I don't think that we've ever had a serious enough issue, okay. right? Like to this day, my wife and I, I really think we've had one disagreement. And I told her this right before we were married or at the beginning of our relationship anyway. I told her, I said, if I ever get... So upset that I'm going to say something, I'm going to regret, I'm going to walk out. I'm going to go for a walk, I'm going to cool down, I'm going to understand what's happening, and I'm going to come back and we'll talk about it. I've had to do that once in ten and a half years. Hmm. And uh, we've never had to do that again. But you've been irritated with her. Yeah. You know, like maybe yeah. and our, I our wives out. like shopping. Yeah. You know, yep. they like go, go out together yep. and thing, buy things sometimes that we feel yep. are unnecessary. Yep. But you keep it, keep it going anyway. Yeah. Like some guys would get bitter at their wives mm-hmm. and angry, and I've done it mm-hmm. myself where I've, it gets frustrating or something mm-hmm. like that, and you allow it to get to you. Yeah. Yeah. And if, I don't know, the way the way we do, if I, if I just express our financial situation or our spending habits, or, or you know, um, I, I don't want to fall into the rest of the world where money, sex, and drugs, right, affect our life, right? But even from a Christian perspective, finances have a huge um um, decision on or a huge um, um, part of our lives, obviously, mm-hmm. right? On on what we're what we're capable of doing, right? And if it just is squandered away, we can't enjoy, right? right? It just it's just gone, right? Yeah. Um, and that's often where we do um, disagree or butt heads, right? Yeah. As far as spending habits and, and Ob- so on, right? Obviously, but, if you literally cannot afford something and you're slowly going broke, it's a different scenario too. Mm-hmm. But there came a time in my life too where I had to realize that okay, I I didn't appreciate what she spent here maybe or I didn't agree with what she spent there a lot of times it was just me not recognizing we're going to need it anyway why not buy it other times it's like okay now it's already there is there any point in having a big uh, to do over this and maybe getting angry at each other or being frustrated at each other for a couple days it's it's a thing it's a thing why not just get over it and realize that money is less important than this relationship yeah yeah a couple years ago when I had I had my boat Every day off that I had, I'd be on the water. Opportunity that I had. And uh, Inland, I just mentioned once, she says, so you're gone a lot. 
you're working or you're fishing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so? <laughs> it's fishing. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm taking the boys out. I'm investing in their lives or I'm investing in friends' lives or we're going out or Sunday morning. All right. Um, we're, we're, we're Sunday afternoon. We're fishing and you can hang out with their wives. It's, it's all fine. Win-win. And she says, but you're spending a lot of time away from us. Right. And then I started thinking and it, it was a good reality check. Right. Like, okay. I sold a boat. Right, I wasn't attached to it. I enjoyed fishing. Yeah, I haven't sold my fishing gear because I'm going to buy another boat. Eventually, you get another right? one. Yeah, but sometimes you but, do have to lay something aside to learn yeah. what it means, what the value of it actually is, and then place it in the right spot, and then yeah. come back to it. Right, I did that with baseball. Part of it was a pride thing. Part of it was just spending time on things that didn't matter. And uh, I had to eventually just okay, stop. I'm not going to play baseball at all. Now I can go back to it and enjoy it in its yeah. proper order. Right, as long as it doesn't run your life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know last couple of years ago, we had the, the youth over at our place, it might have been last summer, and there was one young individual, and I just, I was taught, I was doing the devotional on uh, um, relationships, and I just asked this young young man, I said, how's your relationship with your dad? He goes, I don't know, I don't have one. And I was like, what do you mean you don't have one? And I know that, I know his dad and whatever, right? And I was like, what do you mean you don't have one? And he goes, he's always busy, he's always doing this and this and this and this and this, and uh, he's never home, and he just, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, Oh, that, that's, that's that hurts. Good. Like that's I, I'm, good. I'm, you know, I feel for this for this guy, right? But um, so to be to be able to invest the time, right? Mm. To be there, it's uh, yeah, and to be, for us not to be selfish, right? Um, to uh, to not have an issue with giving up your, you know, if I even money, right? Like if I go out and if I buy a three hundred dollar item, and then it's like I didn't really need that, but because I wanted it, I would spend money in a long time. I just did it, right? Then I go shopping and spend three hundred dollars on whatever. I'm like, he just did that last month. What are you thinking, mm-hmm. right? But uh, it's just different, uh, um, different perspective of, of our necessities, right? Because I'm often a very selfish person, and I catch <clears> myself <throat> being selfish all the time. This is what I want, and like I joke around at work all the time, right? Um, if I'm uh, disagreeing with the vehicle that I bought and it's an arbitration, there's an issue with it, and um, I get what I want, and I'm very persuasive when it comes to getting what I want and mm-hmm. how to go about it, right? Um, you but know, it's purely from a selfish perspective for the business, for the business. Right? Yeah, but that's followed me home, right? So often I get what I want. If we go somewhere, if we hang out with certain people, if we go drive somewhere, whatever, I just, it's typically what I want, right? And often I, I disregard what my wife wants, right? Earlier I touched on that, um, you know, what Herman had said when we were going out for breakfast about... Uh, larger families and whatnot, so Lynn and I, we were talking about it, and uh, um, she was saying that the kids are just, you know, they're such a blessing, and they and they are, right? And uh, um, for her to, she's such a great mom, mm-hmm. right? And she's talked about growing her family and so on, and I told her, I said, look, I said, from my selfish standpoint, okay, I can drive a truck from work, a six-passenger truck, <laughs> okay, if we go camping, if we go pick up a piano for the boys, yeah. whatever, I can just drive a truck. We don't need to. Everybody can hop a, in. Everybody hops in, and away we go. One and more might throw that off. I said, "What, what would we do then?" Yeah. And she doesn't. She, she'll never be rude or disrespectful and say you're selfish or you're out of line or whatever, right? But I get the vibe of the conversation, right? And, uh, um, and then I started thinking, okay, well, who am I to hold my wife's something my wife has a desire for, right? Something that my wife is really good at, and she's a gifted mother. She's fantastic, right? And it's such a natural desire for women mm-hmm. to want to do that, right? To bear children and mm-hmm. to nurse them, and, you know. Yeah, and then for me to just hold her back from from something that uh, she has a heart for, right? Like our kids are fantastic, right? Our little, the youngest one, we're still sure, we're course. still we're still learning, right? Yeah. But uh, um, but the fact that uh, a fifth one might be coming in September is. Uh, it's an is inter- this an is it, is it, is it, is it an interesting <laughs> perspective all on its own, right? Oh boy, right? I won't I won't say that a lot to your wife inside, but oh. uh, I couldn't I couldn't help it, right? Public, public announcement on the so now you have to wait now you have to wait to post this yeah until people <laughs> uh, right or you can edit it later on yeah. right? But uh, yeah, it was uh, an interesting perspective, right? Yeah, but it's amazing. You've been married for for ten years. Right, having you know, we have nine nine year old. He's going to be ten in April, right? Um, and then the the excitement of getting to do it all over again, mm-hmm. right? But this time better, yeah. Right, with um, more 
experience and, and wisdom and knowledge, right? Right. On how to handle there's, it. There's kind of two angles on that, though. A lot of, of the youngest kids, and many people probably will be, identify, be able to identify with this, parents who are not intentional, a lot of times the youngest one turns out a little bit more rotten mm-hmm. than some of the others. They get more spoiled, they mm-hmm. get more stuff, their parents are wealthier by the time they yeah. have the youngest ones, yeah. and they just don't have to do as much, everybody else takes yeah. care of them. But to be intentional and focus on mm-hmm. them and, and to make sure you implement a lot of the same principles on yeah. them yeah. is going to be very good. And then they get to grow up with constant uh, interaction with their, their peers and stuff like that, or older children and stuff. Yeah. And your older children get the opportunity to train, to teach younger ones. and As long as it's coming into a home where there's peace and joy yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah, there's so much so much love and, you know, like you said, it'll teach the older ones, right? how to care and how to be patient, understanding, and mm-hmm. and and so on, right? So it's, uh, well, you've been there. Yeah. You've done that. Well, I mean, even now, we've got a 19-year-old, and they're still often saying that we should have some more, right? We're only 40. Mm-hmm. Not even, Lisa's not even 40. It's mm-hmm. like easy stuff. Lots of opportunities. <laughs> Lots of opportunities, right? So, yeah. no, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's an exciting part of, of, of growing, yeah. right, from many different aspects. But one, one quick question before we uh, before we go. Um, when I listened to your podcast with uh, Jonathan Steele and with Joshua Steele, Joshua Steele sorry, um, and uh, um, his unsureness of salvation mm-hmm. at the age of eighteen, right, right. Um, I've been talking to Austin about this, and he's nine now. So, at what age? I know the answer is probably going to be um, different maturity levels. Each boy is different, and yeah. and so on, right? But um, like I've had the opportunity to explain the gospel to him. And he gets it, and he understands it, right? And if I um, asked him if he wanted to um, give his heart to the Lord and to surrender and to, right? Mm-hmm. And he'd say, of course. But I know for sure he doesn't understand it all. Yeah. But nobody does at the beginning, right? So is it selfish? Is it from a self, selfish mindset or from, a, a, you know, I want him to really understand what he's surrendering? Because when he asked me a while ago after communion, he goes, Daddy, what am I being saved from? Mm. Right? And I was like, that's, that's, you know, very that's a very question. You know, that's, that's deep from a nine-year-old, right? And I said, well, all these, and he's told, a guy less than a testimony, and he listens to a lot of them as well, right? And he goes, all these other guys, they go do drugs, and they move out, and they go do all these bad stuff, and then they, then they, they come to God. It's no wonder they need to be saved. He goes, so what am I being said? You're pre- preventative. You're being saved from mm. doing all that stuff, right? And, uh, um, you get to you get to, to choose to live for Christ so much earlier in life, mm-hmm. right? So you don't have to go down the same path, right? Yeah. But uh, I don't want him just to surrender, just to say what I want him to say, for the sake of making me happy, right? Yeah. So from my perspective, and I don't think I have this all figured out. I get this question quite a bit: is that um, for one, a lot of times young boys and young girls will go through stages and phases where they really want to talk about the idea of religion, and, and all that gets very exciting to them. And it often just wears off. Mm-hmm. So to me, when the genuine thing really happens and someone really gets born again, mm-hmm. it isn't just a little phase. Mm-hmm. You know, it's their life. Yep. They give yep. themselves to it. Yep. So usually at 8, 9, and 10, they don't really fully comprehend that. Maybe even 10 and 12 and 13 often. Maybe it's sometimes even more connected to the idea of becoming a man. Mm-hmm. When I got saved is when I became a man. Shortly after yep. that, I realized my need for salvation. Yep. But um, it doesn't mean you should turn them away from it. You, the gospel should just be forefront and center in mm-hmm. their in their understanding this is who God is that's how we connect to him only mm-hmm. through Jesus and so part of it is that very thing like allowing him to hear other testimonies seeing how they came to grips with eternity and God and Jesus and all that and then I, I would like to kind of make the connection say okay so this guy committed adultery he went out on his wife he cheated or this guy he actually came out of jail you know hear his testimony he was in prison for committing murder and mm-hmm. so on and so forth and then doing what Jesus did, saying to look with lust is actually the same thing. On scale, it looks smaller, mm-hmm. and it's not as detrimental to society or to other people. But to acknowledge sin is to, to see that the little thing that you did, that bitterness that you showed towards your brother, that anger that you had, the, the fact that you disobeyed mommy the other day, or the way that you spoke to her, that's like a little seedling of the big sin. All you have to do to become this big sinner, the murderer and the rapist and all that, is just to let that little seed grow, right? So you you have the same sin in your heart today as that guy did. So if he needed to be saved for having actually acted on all the things, 
you need to be saved because you have the capacity to do the same things, right? And so when you discipline them, when you train them, as you're seeing things in their life that really do fall short of the glory of God, to point it out as sin, it might just seem like a small disobedience to you and to me or to society around us. But, but recognize that this is the very thing that produced murderers. This is the very thing that produced adulterers and all and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. Right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know how successful I've been at that, but I think our religious kids, our good kids, need to recognize that they're just as capable of the darkest sins out there as mm -hmm. Hitler and all the others, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's where, like, I'm just thinking at that age, right? If we guide them, right, and help them, under, help them to understand, like you were just saying, right, like that seed can, can grow, right? Mm -hmm. But they don't, you know, not to go down that path, yeah. right, to prevent that um, damage from, from happening, right? Yeah. On the same note, at the same time, I like the I like for them at the age of eight or ten or twelve or whatever to know that when they do find themselves to be sinners and they recognize their guilt before God, that they also at the same time will know, yeah, but Jesus paid it, mm -hmm. you know, so that it would be like this instantaneous thing where they're like, oh man, I'm guilty before God. Oh, but God made a way, right? That the, that that would take place. Maybe they won't recognize when or where it happened, like Joshua Steele. Yeah. I don't know if he knows when he got saved. Yeah kind of that little moment when he was very young, but mm -hmm. then you don't know, right? Yeah, well, lots of growth, right? And that's where sanctification yeah. comes in, right? Continuous growth, right? But, uh, yeah, for them to 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 realize it themselves, that they're in need of a Savior, right? Yeah. Just like, you know, if I screw up being told is one thing, but if I learn myself, it's different, right? It's, it's doesn't. Some memory just, just forms into my brain, right? That I learned this because I did this, mm -hmm. right? And when I think I think you know when, when they realize that they he understands he needs a savior, right? But um, what he's being saved from, yeah. right? So like intellectually, as a young boy, he might recognize, okay, well, I guess that's why I need a savior, mm -hmm. you know. But it might happen that a lot of our kids that are raised good, quote unquote, good, they um, they might get to their teen years or even into their twenties and then really let somebody down or lose somebody that's mm -hmm. very close to them. And then at that point, maybe all this stuff will register and mm -hmm. they'll be like, I believed this, but I don't know if I ever really believed it until now. The like, now it's there. real. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like, uh, I've often talked about this, when you have a chair, if I was standing here, I could look at this chair and, and, and examine it and decide, I think this chair will hold me. I'm pretty sure, like the wood legs, it's nice, solid, I'm sure it'll hold me, but I could be standing here saying it will hold me. That's and I believe that chair will hold me. But you're not fully trusting in the chair until you sit down and you rest in it. Mm -hmm. And so our children, hopefully, through years of instruction, and that's what the instruction of the Old Testament is for the law. Paul, uh, Moses was was told, tell the, tell the families, teaching when you rise up in the morning, when you walk by the way, when you lie down at night, be instructing them, instructing them, instru remind them, this is why how God freed us from Egypt. This is how I got saved. This is where I came from. And then slowly it will, mm -hmm. almost like you're indoctrinating them, right? And then one day it'll really become reality. But the entire time you're planting seeds and you're watering and you're, you're... And we believe that this book is living mm -hmm. and it's alive. And mm -hmm. as we implant it into our children, it will grow and it will become something. Yeah. But even to express to the kids that it's it's a decision. You're choosing to believe to believe that that is truth, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, instead of... Put your faith in it. Yeah. Trust it. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. No, Seems absolutely. like a good place to close. Yeah. It. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. No problem. Thank you. Mm-hmm.